roots to go deep. But it appears that we have a problem with our hearing. Let me explain. It says this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This phrase appears several times in the Gospels, and again in the book of the Revelation we see it. As we'll see in a moment when we read this passage, this phrase appears at the end of the parable. And whilst this parable isn't about having a hearing problem, Jesus is highlighting something that to understand parables, we need to hear, we need to listen. Listen. This phrase is a Hebrew saying which simply means this, to those who have heard my instructions. To those who have heard my instructions. The word here in Hebrew is shema. Shema. It means to listen with your ear, then understand what is being said, and then go and do that which was said. Let those who have ears to hear Let them hear. So in other words, hearing is a three-way action. It means to listen. It means to understand, not only with our minds, but with our hearts. And it means to do. So this parable is about the nature and the purpose for the word of God in our hearts. Uh, In verse 13 of Mark's version, Jesus says, If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the parables? This parable is the key to unlocking all of the others. Um, The word understand that Mark used is another Hebrew word, ido, which doesn't just mean listening to gain knowledge. It does, but it actually means to perceive with any of the senses. To perceive with any of the senses. Hearing, seeing, touching, smelling, tasting. Which simply means this, there has to be an experience that follows the hearing of the word. So for the word to take hold and for its roots to go deep and bring about transformation, there has to be an encounter, there has to be an experience that takes place where we're engaging with our senses. And and, and perhaps many of us have experienced that. I know that I've experienced that myself and continue to experience that as I continue to walk with God. Otherwise, it just becomes something that we give mental assent to and it becomes something that we know about We agree with it, but because it doesn't move from our intellectual knowledge into our hearts, we become only hearers and not doers. We become critics and we don't engage in God's word. We don't allow it to push us out. We become theorists. James talks about being hearers and not doers. It says this in James 1, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Very practical. In fact, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more practical that I find that walk is. So it's not just about praying, spending time in prayer and meditation. It's not just about reading his word and getting revelation. It's not just about doing spiritual activities. The kingdom of God is practical and outworking in every way, and we get to partake in that. Uh, We find in the middle of this parable between Jesus sharing the parable 
and explaining the meaning of this parable, Jesus also explains the purpose of using parables. In fact, in Matthew's version, the disciples ask Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Uh, We tend to think that parables are like illustrations that perhaps preachers use to illustrate a point of their sermon, but that's not why Jesus taught in parables. So come with me to verse 10 of Matthew. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And you can, you can hear that, hearing, understanding, hearing, understanding. Physically hearing, but not comprehending the word of God to the point where Jesus was standing before them, the revealed man in the flesh, they couldn't even recognize him. Jesus didn't use parables to illustrate truth. He used parables to hide truth. Jesus deliberately used parables to hide the truth from people who didn't understand it. He used parables to communicate truth to people who had already received truth. I can relate to that before I had revelation of who God was. I remember looking through his word and reading simply words on a page. But as I began to start a relationship with him, revelation came. I began to comprehend and understand. And it wasn't just about hearing and knowing, but there was an action that followed on. This parable in particular teaches us that when God speaks, he speaks to us in seed form. His word comes to us in the form of a seed and it has the potential to grow. Parables don't present truth in a story, but they contain truth. It needs to be deciphered. It needs to be revealed. A parable is a story with a meaning, and it's the meaning of the story that is important. Inside the parables are truth, which we have to extract. We decipher them with the help of the Holy Spirit, and we apply that truth to our lives to bring about transformation. That way, the parable accomplishes its purpose. Parables are supposed to bring about transformation as truth is revealed. They're not just a way to communicate an idea or to learn a spiritual principle, which in themselves are great things, but the goal is transformation and outward action. So from the three versions of this parable found in the three Gospels, Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8, we can get a fairly concise overview of the context for which this passage was written, the time, the place, the people, what was happening. Um, All three of these parables, or all three versions, have a similar layout. Uh, The parable is shared, the purpose of why the parables are used is shared, and then the parable is explained. Uh, Both Mark and Luke's versions are immediately followed by the parable of the lamp on a stand, which I think is actually directly related to this parable. If we read into that parable, the context of God's word being seed, God's word being light, which can be hidden. Uh, But we don't have time to go into that tonight. 
but we do notice that verse 12 of Matthew is also echoed in Mark and Luke's parable of the lamb. So, whew, I feel like I'm talking really fast and giving you a whole lot of information. Hope you're keeping up. Okay, um, so we know from the previous chapter, we're back to the book of Matthew, um, it was the Sabbath day. Uh, Jesus and the disciples had been walking through the grain fields. Uh, they were plucking the heads of grain. They were eating them, which was confronted by the Pharisees. They were confronted because plucking heads of grain was considered work, and that was considered working, which was forbidden on the Sabbath. So this was a farming and a fishing community. The scene of this parable was the Sea of Galilee, which is really a lake, a lake which the Jordan was flowing out of the mountains of Lebanon. Um, it dumps into the regions of Galilee, and then it runs down through the Jordan Valley, and then the Jordan River ends in the Dead Sea, which has no outlet there. And it was in this lake, which dominates Galilee, that Jesus made his headquarters, probably Communion, uh, maybe even at Peter's house, which is located there. And Jesus would travel all around that region, preaching to the people, speaking to the people, healing the people. And often he was teaching by the sea. Now, because of the great crowd that had gathered on the shore, he pushes out on a boat. The size of the crowds that he attracted were so large, they were so pressing around him, they were so demanding, um, the sick were brought to him, the demon-possessed, the needy, the poor, the outcasts, some were looking for a miracle, others were just looking for amusement's sake, they wanted to see a spectacle. Um, in another passage it says that the crowd was so large that the disciples couldn't feed them because there were so many people present. So Jesus was often surrounded by large, thronging crowds. And the demands of a crowd were huge, and because the crowd was so pressing in on him, he had to get into a boat, which would have helped him to be heard by the crowd, with the hills in the background as some sort of amphitheater, and with his voice perhaps bouncing off the water, he began to speak. Chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Maybe that's what they could see around them. The, the flat lands which were all about them, they would, the farmers would plow their rows much like they do today. They would plow them with either an animal or they would plow them with by hand, and then they would walk up and down the rows, and they would have a bag over their shoulder, and they would use what is called the broadcasting method. And maybe if you've ever sowed seed for a lawn, I used to watch my dad do it, I've never done it. Um, kind of the same, except they're scattering seeds onto a row rather than just scattering them all over the place. Uh, but this was a very common scene in their society. The sower walks up and down the rows, scattering the seeds. On the ground. Verse 4 And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Others still fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold. Some 60, some 30. What an amazing result. So this was a very familiar scene to the crowd. They would have all known it. Some of them probably would have done it. And they were likely surrounded by it. 
sowers, they were familiar with people sowing seeds. The, the seeds, they were also familiar with that. Soil, different kinds of soil, people would also have been familiar with that. Three factors in this parable. There is the farmer or the sower, there's the seed, and there's the soil. So the farmer is those who share the word of God. That's you, and that's me. The seed is the word of God. The soil is the response from those who hear it. It represents the heart condition. The farmer in this parable is a man who goes into the field with the intention of raising a crop, reaping a harvest. So he expects to reap a profit from the crop that he's sowing. In the same way, the Holy Spirit was sent into the world, sent as a deposit like a seed to convict the people so that he might reap a harvest. In the same way that a bountiful harvest brings riches and honors to the Father in heaven, salvation brings glory to God. So, as the farmer sowed his seed, it fell upon four distinct types of soil. And we should note that each of the soils was good soil. But it was the condition that the soil was in when the seed landed on it that determined the potential for the seed to produce a harvest. Every seed... Every word of God has the potential to produce much more seed many times over. Sometimes 30, sometimes 60, sometimes even 100. And if you've ever planted anything, you would know this to be true. Think of beans or peas or even corn. Think of acorn trees who, who reseed themselves and they're able to reproduce. Sometimes 30, sometimes 60, sometimes 100, if not more. It's the same with the gospel when it's sown into the heart that is ready it will germinate and reproduce many times over. The seed has the potential to begin small and reproduce very much more. Let's head down to verse 18, the parable of the sower explained. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So fields in Israel weren't fenced in, they weren't walled in like they are perhaps here in New Zealand. There were walls on the hillsides because of the terraces to create flat grounds for the vineyards, but the grains were planted down on the flatlands and they bordered their fields with paths. The wayside refers to the narrow footpaths that ran through and ran beside the fields. Uh, these were the roads of the day that would have been about a metre wide, um, they would have been accessible by any traveller. This is probably the kind of path that the disciples were walking on the previous day when they were picking heads of grain. Um, the paths were uncultivated. They were dry. Uh, the soil had become hard because it had been trampled on. In fact, it would be as hard as, as pavement, as hard as concrete, um, as travellers would have compacted the earth again and again. A very dry and hot place where the sun beat down. And so when the seed fell on the footpath, it couldn't penetrate the soil. It was like falling on concrete. It was too hard. It stayed out in the open. And so birds, very familiar problem to any farmer. Um, even in today's society, birds will follow anywhere there's seeds. Um, and they would have been following behind the farmers. And anything that landed on the path, they would have flown down, picked it up and eaten it. Luke adds in his account of the parable that whatever the birds didn't get was crushed and trampled under the feet of those who walked along the path. So it would have been common for travellers to be going up and down these rows. 
But this speaks of a hard heart. Sometimes people will hear the gospel, the good news, they'll hear the word of God, but they can't understand it. It's like hidden truth that they can't make the connection. Maybe it's through consistently refusing to hear the gospel. It's the trodden path of continual saying no to Jesus. Perhaps it's the continual blaming God for the perception that he was responsible for things that weren't going right in their lives. It speaks of a hard heart that can't receive the seed, the word of God. Verse 20, but he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The stony places, the stony places are common in the land. Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't talking about stones and pebbles in the soil. The farmer would get those out. They'd probably use something like a rake or perhaps a sieve, uh, much like we still do today to get those little stones and pebbles out. But often there'll be an outcropping of limestone, a limestone rock that sat underneath the layer of soil, underneath where the plough was reaching, and the soil from the top, it looks like it's ready to be sown, the ground looks good, it looks healthy, it looks productive, there's moisture, there's warmth, and the soil is warm, and it looks like any seed that's cast here will germinate. But what happens is it quickly springs up into a promising plant, something that was very common in Israel. But because there's no depth in the soil, there's no ability for the roots to go deep. They'll go down, they'll hit bedrock, and they'll force the plant up. And that's why it says they sprung up immediately. But as, as soon as the sun beats down on that tender plant, it begins to wither. It dies without producing any fruit. They all would have understood that. They would look into one section of the field where there were plants that were sitting higher than the other plants, that would be a sign that it wasn't a good spot to plant and they couldn't go down and that soon they were going to die. This was a superficial soil and all the promise died. It speaks of a heart that's made an emotional response to the gospel, an emotional response to the word of God. And it's not wrong to have an emotional response to the word of God. I know that's true for myself. I continue to have an emotional response to the word of God. Joy comes in, but if there is no depth for the word to take root in, it's here for a moment, and in the next moment, it's gone. Without the ability for the word of God to go deep and take root, it can't survive. It can't carry a burden. It can't carry a load. And when the temperature begins to rise, storms of life come, it simply withers away. Verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Thorns and weeds. This is deceptive soil. There's not any bedrock beneath it. It looks good. It looks clean. It looks ready. But underneath the surface are the living roots. There's other seeds of thorns and weeds ready to spring into life. Um, I'm sure we've all weeded a garden before. And the worst thing you can do is break that weed off at the top when you pull it out because it just continues to grow and expand underneath. No, you've got to get right down and pull the thing out by the roots. Uh, when the seed falls here, it also quickly springs up to life. It gives every indication that it's going to be healthy, that a harvest will follow. But the same ground begins to produce 
the thorns and the weeds that were already there, and they soon choke out the new plant, and the good seed dies. Again, this is a picture of a heart that tries to have a foot in both worlds. The heart desires to live a life that honors God, but is torn between God's kingdom and the earthly kingdom, and eventually it's overcome by the ways of the world. And I'm, perhaps you've found yourself there before. I know that I have, uh, especially in the early days. I've given my heart to Jesus and, and just figuring out uh, my Christianity, outworking my salvation, uh, trying to keep one foot here in the world and one foot in the promises of God and outworking that. But because we are pulled and swayed to this way and that, if we aren't planted and don't allow our roots to go deep, um, we become just hearers and not doers, then we lose the potential for harvest. Verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So finally, there are three other kinds of really good soil. They all knew, everyone that was listening, they all knew that dirt, not all dirt was the same. That in some soil, the nutrients would be superior to other soils. One would produce a good crop, and there would be soil that would produce a great crop. Good soil is deep, it's soft, it's rich. Um, It's not competing, there's plenty of room. Um, It's soft for the roots to go down deep to where the water is. And some seed fell onto this good ground, this ground which had been worked and prepared. It had been plowed, it had been tilled, it was ready to receive the seed when it came. And so when the seed germinated within the heart of the soil, the plant began to grow. And when the plant reached maturity, it began to produce fruit that brought honor and glory to the farmer. So whenever Jesus told a parable, he would always bring an element that was shocking to the listeners. And this was the shocking part to the listeners. <coughs> an average crop would be about 7.5%, not even 10%. Tenfold would have been a massive, massive harvest. It would have been the story of legends. Wow, Garth got like a 10% yield of his beans this year. So, but Jesus really blows them away with a story of like 3,000%, 6,000%, 10,000%. So for them, it would have been just way out of proportion to anything that a good crop would normally produce. And it would have been unusual for them to hear this. His point was to grab their attention because they had a hearing problem. They were good at listening, but that's as far as it went. We can be good at listening. We love a good message that we can agree with. We love to listen to podcasts, YouTube. We turn up to conferences. We like to listen to great speakers and have input into our lives. But if that's all we're doing when we hear the word, then we're just following Jesus around like the crowds who are following him around and not allowing Jesus to disciple them and push them out. This is my final thought. I went, Shalom, would you come? Matt? You know, as I look back on my own life, as the soil was prepared for the gospel, for the word of God to take root in my own heart, many times the gospel was presented to me. I remember being in youth group, and I spent a lot of years in youth group, 
youth leaders coming to pick me up, take me down to youth group on Thursday night. Really, I went out to hang out with my mates, hopefully get a girlfriend. I turned up with an ulterior motive. And you know, I say this, I tell this because I don't ever remember hearing anybody preach about Jesus. But I know that's not true because I would turn up to these rallies and um, I remember my best friend at that time, they, they, I know what it is now, it's called an altar call, but I didn't know they were doing an altar call. And they're saying, oh, if your heart's beating really fast, uh, you should come down the front. And I'm thinking, what? And so my friend got out of his seat, went down the front, along with a bunch of other people. I'm like, what are they doing? And then they took them out in the back. I was like, oh, what are they doing? This seems really weird. Obviously, the gospel was preached. There's this um, black box theory that centered around the encounters that we have with God um, as we, I guess, as, we, as we're growing up, as we're walking through life. It might be a nudge here, a nudge there. It might be talking with a friend over here. It might be you find yourself suddenly at church with somebody. All of these nudges, nudging you here and there, but somewhere along the way, our spirit is activated. It comes alive. And I think that's one of the mysteries of God. But as we each give someone a nudge, we plant a seed. It's like tilling the soil. And one day, the word of God will take root. And I'm sure that's true for everyone here in this room. I wonder if we can bow our heads in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, it's active. But Lord, it's not just words written on a page. Uh, Your word causes us to listen, to hear, to understand, not only with our minds, but with our hearts. We, we thank you that you are a God who, who touches all of our senses. Uh, Father, that you don't just want us to hear you, to see you, but we can taste you. Father, we can touch you. Father, we can experience and encounter you. And so, Lord, as we consider tonight your word spoken over our lives, Father, as we consider being ones who have been sent into the world to carry the word of God. Sowers, sowing the seed, sowing the word of God. Father, I pray that uh, not only would we be bold, not only would we have ears to hear and eyes to see the opportunities that come before us, but Lord, that you would draw people to us. Father, let there be opportunities for prayer. Let there be opportunities to to release kingdom. Let it be through our words, through our actions, and through our love. Father, I thank you for your word that it is living and active. Father, that it's powerful to bring about transformation, not only for our lives, but for the lives around us. And Lord, as we, as we depart from this place, let us not just be hearers of your word, but Father, let us be ones who, who hear, who understand, who, who seek for revelation from your Holy Spirit. And Father, as you, as you send us, as you send us out, send us anywhere, uh, Lord, we 